us daily from the inside out, but it does require our assent and our participation with that, mainly in the process of just showing up. When we show up with other people who are pursuing God, incredible things can happen uh, for our world. It is always for others. We receive as a byproduct of serving others. So that's the first one Then we talked about um, participation. That was the natural next thing. What does it mean to participate uh, in the body of Christ and in the world? And then we heard from um, uh, Shirley from um, Union Rescue Mission. And then, uh, yeah, about homelessness and poverty. And we set out and we went downtown, many of us, and we served there to just kind of put hands and feet to what we had heard. Uh, just setting up that formula that we listen, we hear from God, we, f- we change, and then we act. Um, and so I was, as we were thinking about the summer, I thought a really important one is to think about what does it mean to be in community around people who do not believe the same way as we do? And in particular, what about people who seem so different to us in everything that they do as part of their, f- they're seeking to be faithful to their beliefs as they see them, uh, particularly in the area of uh, the Muslim religion, Islam. And there's a lot of misinformation things around in this culture that, that we hear, and many people have an agenda around this area. Uh, and so I was thinking about how would we do that, and I thought I should probably invite someone in who has had a lot of experience in this area. And uh, there was a, a gentleman, his name is Shane Bennett, who is with us this morning, he's going to share, um, who I met in Olympia when I was at the church there, and he was up at a, a church uh, in our city doing what was called a Bridges uh, class, and it was all an all-day thing uh, around this area. And he uh, came to speak at our church on that Sunday morning. And I found his sharing very compelling in my own journey of what I was thinking about as being a follower of Jesus in the world. And so that was 2016. Funnily enough, we had a baby dedication on the same day because I listened a little bit to that sermon. It was a baby dedication. It was Mother's Day 2016. And so we've been in touch ever since. So uh, Shane currently lives in Colorado. He's originally from uh, India. No, I'm kidding. Indiana. <laughs> Such an easy mistake for a filthy foreigner to make. That's what my son calls me, filthy foreigner. It's lovely. But uh, he is a man with, with a, a faithful and generous heart for Jesus uh, and also for the mission of God in this world. And so I'd like to have you welcome, please, Shane Bennett uh, to speak with us this morning. Thank you, man. Well, I probably can't tell you how crazy excited I am to be here. Um, now, you, you can look around, you know, you're all beautiful and you're great and, and all that. Let me give you, here's the title slide so you can have something to look at so you don't have to look at me. Um, how many of you, anybody, like a new song person as far back as like 1988, 89? Yeah, nice. I went to New Song when I lived in Pasadena in the very late 80s, the very early 90s. And I think maybe y'all were at um, uh, Cal Poly Pomona, someplace like that, when I was there back in the, the Dieter Zander days. And um, so when, when Grant got this job, and by the way, whoever's idea that was to hire him, thumbs up to you. Um, I thought... 
I thought, man, that is so cool because I, I used to go to that church. And, and so when he called and said, hey, do you, you want to come and speak? I'm like, yeah, let me pray about it. I'll be there. And it was, it's like, it's just so amazing to um, get to be back here um, and be with you. I just, I can't, um, I'm just thrilled, very excited to be here this morning. So um, I, I'm wondering, can I, can I tell you a story about one of my kids? That'd be cool. What are you going to say to that? No. <laughs> Give us a handful of propositional truths that we can nod our heads and agree to and we'll be fine. Um, so I've got five kids and um, the middle child um, and I'm not, I should know like what the, some of the risks and challenges are with middle children, but um, she, I think, probably expresses more of the positive general characteristics of a middle child. She's got this, um, this um, pretty deep core of resilience and self-starting. Um, you know, if you have kids, you know, you, you don't have favorite kids, but um, if you're gonna, you might pick the one who potty trained themselves. And... <laughs> Anna potty trained herself. She did it. Um, it was my job. I was supposed to do it. We used to do this thing where well, you do this potty training in a day thing. And, and I got her and I was going to do that. And, and she goes, I'm done. And she literally was. And so it's like, she has a, a special place in my heart. Um, she taught herself to tie her shoes, taught herself to ride a bike. And when she was maybe seven or eight and her brother was nine or 10 or 11, somewhere in there, they decided they wanted to play Little League Baseball. And I, we hadn't done much in terms of um, organized sports. And so, and I was kind of clueless. Uh, so we found this league for him to join. And it was, it was kind of like a, it wasn't like super great, but they joined and they had like one practice and then they had a game. And so we showed up at the game and she's got on her long Little League shirt down to about her knees and her two big Little League hat that made her ears kind of flare out like Dumbo just a bit. And um, because she didn't know baseball, and I know, looking at me now, you go, you're, you're athletic. Why didn't you train? I, I, I actually wasn't, even though, you know. Um, so I had failed in my responsibility to train her up in the ways of baseball. So she didn't know what was going on. So she got assigned where you assign kids like that. I was like, coach said, okay, Anna, you go to right field. And she really didn't even know what right field was. And it's, it's like he squared her shoulders, start walking, I'll yell at you when you get there. And, and so she started walking out that way. And from the bleachers, I'm watching her go out, like walking away from me. And I, I began to notice that as she was walking, her shoulders were doing this hunchety hunch kind of thing. And, and I thought, what, what's wrong with her? And then it dawned on me, she's crying. And you know that kind of crying you do when you're trying to breathe and cry really hard? And it's like, <laughs> so she was doing that thing with her shoulder. <gasps> My daughter, she's, she's, she's so sad. And, and, and I felt terrible and I thought, I've got to rescue her. But... I watched Oprah, you know, I listened to Dr. Phil. You don't rescue your kids. You let them, you know, in a reasonable way, face the consequences. So that desire to rescue her was quickly replaced with this wave of dad pride. Because he's like, here's my girl. She doesn't even know what right field is. How could she possibly discern if she is up for whatever challenge awaits her out there? And it's scaring her spitless, but she is going anyway terrified, but she's walking anyway. And I just thought, good for you, Anna. And I think that's not a half bad metaphor for this life of following Jesus. Now, if you've been around the Bible for a while, you know that it is chock full of don't fear. But I think sometimes the way to don't fear 
is walk even if you're terrified. Because one logical response to don't fear is don't get off the couch. Because the couch is safe. And you say, I'm not, the Bible says don't fear, so I'm not gonna do that. Like, well, logically, yeah, but practically that's dumb. So I think maybe one of the ways to not fear is to walk in to fear. Now, I could no more give you therapy than fly to the moon. So that is not whatever situation you're facing, here's the answer to it. But in some cases, the thing that we're afraid of is the very thing that we need to walk into. And it's part of, of this walk of faith and um, hopefully somebody gave you a heads up before you made any serious commitments to Jesus that that's what it's like. Now I wanna look at a guy this morning for a few minutes who he was faced with a decision like that. And he's become one of my favorite like minor characters, minor in terms of the word count he gets, major in terms of the impact. One of my favorite guys in the New Testament. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter nine. I happen to be going retro this morning and I have a book Bible. I bought this um, about three weeks ago because I was gonna do a youth camp. And I thought the youth need to know what a Bible looks like. So... Um, they had them, but they didn't know. So I'd go, turn to Luke, and they'd be going, A, B, uh. So we're gonna be in Acts, chapter nine. And it's right, I bookmarked it earlier because I don't really know this Bible. And the last thing you wanna do is look like you don't, you just picked up your Bible if you're speaking from it. So I bookmarked it, so I'm there already. So open your app or whatever you got to um, go to Acts, chapter nine. And we're gonna read about this guy named Ananias. There we go. That's just the highlight. We're gonna read a chunk of his story. So here's what, here's what happens. Meanwhile, this is verse one of Acts chapter nine. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I like it sometimes, Luke, the guy that wrote Acts, when he gets a little bit dramatic, right? Sort of fun. Meanwhile, da, 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 Saul is still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, these followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. If Jesus ever says that to you, I suppose just obey right away because you got a little trouble coming, but you'll get through it. Um, oh, I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In the meantime, verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, you buddy, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, I don't know what your experience is um, in terms of God giving you assignments, but if God sometimes says to you as plainly as he said to Ananias, hey, I want you to go heal that person of blindness, do it. 
Because how cool is that? And you'll be like the go-to testimony for like the next five or 10 years, likely. So this is not a bad gig for Ananias. And apparently Ananias was in a posture where he was open to God saying, go and do stuff. So he was ready for this. Some good stuff there. So God says, Ananias, I want you to go heal this guy of blindness. Ananias answered, well, verse 11, the Lord said, go to the house of Judah, straight street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. He's seen you come and restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. So Ananias is going, Saul, presumably there are a lot of Sauls. This, This isn't like, that, that, that one Saul, right? And God goes, oh yeah, totally. Did I not, did I not mention that? It's, it's that one. And Ananias, I get the feel that he doesn't want to argue with God about this because it's God, but he also doesn't want to go, I, I can't escape the logic of this that healing this guy is a bad idea. But you're God, so you shouldn't, I don't really think you have bad ideas. And, and it's almost like he wants to tell God, okay, God, listen, if Saul is blind, that's a good thing because we're harder to catch and he came here to catch us. If I make Saul not blind, we are easier to catch. And it's not like I can do it secretly. People will know and they'll go, who healed? What bozo healed? Saul. Ananias, that's what they're gonna say. They're gonna come at me. If they're gonna offer me to be the first one on the caravan back to Jerusalem. Now, what does God say? God, as you have learned about God, God doesn't go, oh, yeah, 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 good point. Okay, no, no here's what God says. After Ananias tries to, you know, I think, carefully explain, 15, Luke records, but the Lord said to Ananias, go Do it anyway. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Ananias, I suspect, you don't want to read too much into this because Luke is a little bit spare with the details, but he's terrified. Go to the scariest person in town and make him scarier. And Ananias gives it a go, and God says, I'm not buying your argument. Go anyway. Do it, because here's what I'm going to do. This guy is going to play a role that is incalculable in this grand epic that I'm unfolding. Go do it. And then he kind of throws Ananias a bone. He says in verse 16, I'll show him, I'll show him how much he has to suffer for my name. He's not getting off. He'll get his. Don't worry, Ananias. And I could just hear Ananias going, okay, I did, technically, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for you to, to make him suffer. But, you know, it's, well, good. Justice will. He'll get what, what's coming to him anyway. And you know the story, right? Ananias got up. He walked those several blocks or whatever it was to where Saul was hanging out. And he healed him, baptized him. And in a pretty real way, you and, and, and me, we sit here this morning because Ananias was obedient to what God asked him to do. It is not a complicated connecting the dots back to, from, from where we sit here, back to that day in Damascus where Ananias did what God asked him to do. He shows up in the Bible for just this little blip, this tiniest little cameo, but his obedience 
You can, you can hardly measure it. He steps into this epic. Look at the, this epic he steps into. Back, all the way back in Genesis, God kind of sets the tone for this is what I'm up to in the world. And he says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God sets up this thing with Israel, with the Jews. He said, I'm gonna bless you, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we get, we get bought into this covenant. This is the arrangement with you and me. And into that unfolding story, Ananias decides to be obedient and go do this thing with Paul that expands what in this, this passage is for the Jews. It expands it to all the rest of us who aren't Jews. He steps into that epic story that heads to this point, Revelation 7, 9, out at the end of the story, however this shakes out, I don't know. John, the apostle, says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This epic story that God's unfolding, Ananias found his place of obedience. Scared as he was, he walked it out. And this kind of wraps up with Jesus at the end of Revelation. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And then he said, hey, that's good. Write that down because that is true. So Ananias is faithful to his part in that unfolding epic. Now what if or maybe since God invites us into that, what does it mean for you and me? What if God asks you, and maybe he has, and if we had a lot of time, and there are stories out here that, ah, oh, it'd be so great to hear. But what if God shows up and goes, hey, got a job for you, and you're sort of apt to listen for that, and, and you're sort of inclined to say, okay, when God says that, and he says, Here's what I want you to do. And it scares you. What then? There are a lot of things to be afraid of, right? I don't, one of the, the, the kind of privileges of being a guest speaker is I can imagine some of the fear that you all are dealing with, but I don't have to be concerned about it because I'm going home to Colorado tomorrow. But I know that there are stories here and there are fears that you're facing. I, you know, I can imagine there are diagnoses that some of you are waiting on, that there are 18 ways it can be terrible and there's a half a way that it might be not quite terrible but still kind of bad. There are relational stuff. There are things that your boss said or he hasn't said or she hasn't said and so it makes you wonder. Uh, there's all kinds of fear. There's a fear for us those who are, are following Jesus, those who are like part of the church in America. And I, you know, I, if, if this is your first Sunday at New Song, come back again, okay? I'm really sorry that you chose this. I'm glad you chose this morning because like, there's coffee and there are cool pastries out there, but um, this probably isn't like totally normal. So come back next week. Um, but um, one of the things for people who, who generally call themselves Christians, um, we, we have this thing as kind of a characteristic fear for us, and it has to do with those Muslims. 
And particularly when we say those Muslims, you know, uh, this is not going to be good, is it? So we have this, this fear about Muslims, or we have these, this fear about the, like, uh, the intrinsic purposes of Islam. And maybe in some ways, though, I would guess less than with Muslims, you have at least some, some discomfort with Buddhists and Hindus and Jews and, and whatever other religions you might bump into. And I don't know, I'm trying to figure out, but at this point, I don't totally understand what is it that makes up that fear? Now, if I'm being super honest with you, why don't I just be super honest for a moment? Part of that fear for at least some of us is, what if they're right? What if they're right? What if some of these songs that we're singing this morning, it's like, eh, I don't totally know if God does always reign supreme. Maybe these other gods are okay and maybe I don't really understand. And that, that can be disconcerting, right? With Muslims in particular, I think our fear tends to camp out on, they're gonna take over. They're gonna outbreed us. They're gonna make Make starting in Dearborn, Michigan and spreading out over all the, the country, they're gonna make us follow Sharia law, which is kind of like saying law, law, because Sharia is law. They're gonna make us follow their law, law, and oh no. And, and so we have country or, or states like Oklahoma. Anybody in Oki? Okay, I'll say this then. States like Oklahoma that, that, that pass laws saying we will not allow Sharia in our state. And Muslims are going, Dude, you're like 50 on the list. I, you know, thanks for being on top of things. But, and uh, we, we have these fears. Now, number one, I'm not scolding you for being afraid. I don't happen to be afraid of Muslims because I've had crazy good experience. My experience basically with Muslims around the world has been people serving me really yummy food. Now, if you have literally been shot at by a Muslim and that made you mad, totally legit. I get that. If you've had, had some kind of personal abuse, if your uncle or your brother or your husband or your son or your wife or your aunt, somebody was serving in, in some of these wars that we've been fighting against Muslims and it messed them up, which it, that's apt to do, and that's caused you heartache and there's a little anger there, I, that's legit. I get that. So I'm not scolding for fear. Neither am I saying you should, should have the passion about Muslims that I have. So actually, I do want that. But I understand that maybe that's not for everybody. But what I want for this morning is this. I want, because you live in a place where, where Muslims live, I was having ice cream in, where, Sierra Madre? Sierra Madre last night, and some Muslims walked by. And I was so happy because I thought, oh, good, now I can tell these guys at New Song that there are Muslims here, at least in Sierra Madre and perhaps in wherever we are, San Dimas or Glendora, I don't, I'm not totally sure. You know, when you get outside of California, it's just like LA and it means the whole thing, but I realize it's a little more sophisticated than that. But there are Muslims here, so my hope is that as a follower of Jesus, God will swing open some dramatic doors and you'll be face to face with a Muslim and you'll be able to conquer whatever fears you have, legitimate, illegitimate, I don't really care, and step in like, Ananias did into this epic story and extend just the tiniest bit of the blessing of God to that person. Now, toward that end, I want to um, think through with you this super practical way to do that. Um, you should have, do you have, can you pass these out? Would that be okay? Or yeah, this is a little bit goofy, but um, Brant's gonna pass these bookmarks out. And this is kind of the note-taking outline for this morning. 
And it's an acronym that says amore. Amore is, is love in Italian. And this is admittedly so freaking cheesy. But I am willing to be cheesy to help you remember. And I honestly hope that you remember this stuff and it begins to play out in your lives a little bit. Um, I chose Amore for the past five years. I've been invested in launching a church planning effort among Muslim migrants on the island of Sicily. You've been watching some of this migration thing that's going on, right? Sicily is the first big chunk of Europe you get when you head north from Libya, where all these guys are going. Just last week, 150 migrants drown off the coast of Libya. A lot of them die. Most of them make it. And there are bunches gathered in, in Sicily. And so that's why Amore, um, and hopefully you'll, you can remember this. Now the first one, the A stands for, don't read that yet. The A stands for assume the best. If we are going to, like Ananias, obey God relative to Muslims, and you can, you can fan this out to include Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, Jains, if you ever meet a Jain, we've got to assume the best in at least three areas. One, we've got to assume the best about God. We've got to actually believe that God is big enough that he loves people who are mean and bad and not like you. Now, all of us to a person would nod in assent to that. But sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm not really acting in a way that corresponds with that belief that God is big enough and committed and, and loving enough to love people who are unlike me, maybe people who are particularly bad in the ways that, that I give a lot of um, measure to. But God is that big. God is that big that he loves all of us. Some of you have experienced that in your own life and it is, it is shaking to think the stuff that I have done, as bad as it was, it didn't put God off. So we gotta assume the best about God, that God really loves and desires to work among Muslims. Secondly, we've gotta assume the best about ourselves. Dopes like us can be used by God because he's really good at it to affect people's lives. Now, if I were a betting man, I would guess that maybe two or 3% of you this morning, if we're having an honest conversation, would say, yeah, I'm pretty sure God can use me. I, I think I'm a, I'm a go-to guy for God. Yeah, I'm down with that. Most of us would go, ah, blah, I don't know if God can use me. Can I tell you some good news? Good slash scary, because if this is true, your life is not safe anymore. God specializes in using dopes like you. God specializes and takes some kind of sadistic delight in going, give me the list, buddy. I'm old, I'm fat, I'm not very smart, I messed up, and just going, bam, 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 knocking those off the list, knocking those off the page. And he could, if he chose, take you back to the Bible and give you three or four examples for each one of your disqualifications. This guy, he was fatter than you, dumber than you, messed up more than you, and look what I did through him. So let me tell you this, God can use people like us. I see it in glaring, amazing ways in my own life. Finally, assume the best about Muslims. I know some of what you've heard. I don't know the road you've walked, but I know some of what you've heard about Muslims. And I wanna tell you this, if you get really progressive and hip and cool and say, hey, 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 easy, I know not all Muslims are terrorists, you're saying about the meanest thing you can say. The only meaner thing than that is to say, all Muslims are terrorists. 
But if you say, I know not all, what are you saying, most? Most Muslims are terrorists? <laughs> no way. If most Muslims are terrorists, they would be here and we would be out on the street going, we want a church somewhere. Calling up Cal Poly Pomona. Can we meet in your, your facility again? No, the tiniest fraction of Muslims are terrorists. Tiniest fraction of Muslims are really concerning themselves with taking over the world. Mostly, they're trying to, to feed their kids and keep their wife happy and figure out a way to navigate this world and wondering, can we go home and visit mom and dad or will we never get back into America if we do that? Can we wait for the next election? Is that gonna be good enough? I don't know. It's as political as I'll get. They're just trying to get by. And if you get in connection, you will find some wonderful good friendship in the midst of that. So assume the best. Second, move toward opportunities. I'm not saying when I say this, move to Pakistan. Although, if you move to Pakistan, I will be your biggest cheerleader. Some of us, following Jesus need to go to some of the most untouched parts of the planet with the gospel. You know, there are maybe 1,100 Muslim people groups of substantial size, among whom, as far as good research can tell, nobody is living and working for the sake of the gospel going forward. 1,100 ethnic groups like that. Good percentage of them are in North India and in Pakistan. And maybe some of us need to move toward those opportunities. But that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you're checking out at Stater Brothers and there are two checkout lines. And the best you can tell, it's about the same length of time and, and the same you know, handfuls of coupons and whatever. And one check stand is, is run by this obviously very capable grandma and, and she's white and she speaks good English. And the other one is this young woman whose head is covered, presumably she's a Muslim. Go to her line. Move toward that kind of opportunity. Go to her line. And when you get up there, look in her face and smile. Now I know San Dimas is like, you're progressive and you're cool and maybe a lot of people smile. Maybe you're the only one that day though that smiles at her. And if you go beyond that and say, how's it going? You may be the only person who has chosen to do that. That's the kind of opportunity I'm talking about. Just a tiny little tweak so your paths cross. Because we adopt these ways, right? It's easier to hang out with people like us. So we shape our lives so that we are with people that are like us. Just alter it a little bit. Now, you're, you're smart enough to know, you, uh, I altered a little bit and that way leads on to way and who knows, you're right, who knows where it goes. But just maybe tweak it, move toward opportunities. The third, third one, open your heart. This is the worst, they get easier after this, all right? This is, is hands down the most challenging. Before we talk about open your heart, um, I couldn't do like a mure, but there's another O there, and it's open your house. Now just like play this game with me. Imagine for a moment that God speaks to you in like God to Ananias kind of way, and however that works for you, but it's not, not like you're wondering. This like, this happened. This is a deal. God says, you know that, that Muslim family who lives down the street or you work with, you go to school with, I would like you to invite them over for dinner next Saturday night. Now just imagine God asked you to do that and because you sat through this dumb talk, you said yes. What kind of emotions does that gurgle up for you? If it's like, ah, that's legit. 
because it'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? Anybody ever had Muslims over for dinner? You, you might be the first one. You did? Good for you. Here's what happens if you invite a Muslim over for dinner. First, you're going to have to ask them two or three times because for most Muslim cultures, you don't, you know, only a, a dope says yes to the first invitation. So you've got to ask two or three times. And it's not because they don't want to come. It's because that you, don't, you just don't do that. So you ask two or three times and they say yes and they come over. You are going to have the most fascinating conversation of your life for about 90 seconds. And then you're going to go, and they're going to go, and it's going to be really awkward because you don't live in their world. They don't live in your world. You can go, oh, Dodgers doing well. Yeah, Dodgers doing well. And then that's as much as I want to talk about the Dodgers. Thank you, Rocky fan. Um, it's going to be awkward. But the second time, it will be a little less awkward. By the third time, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be sitting there laughing, telling jokes, hearing jokes, sharing stuff, and out of the blue, and this thought's going to percolate up in your mind like, oh, holy moly, I'm the kind of person that enjoys having Muslims over. Ah! And you're going to panic, but you'll push it back down, and it will be good. Now, the harder part of this O is opening your heart. And here's what I want us to do. If you're willing to do this with me, it puts everything up on God and not so much on us. I want us to pray together here in a moment and just say, God, would you help me think about Muslims the way you think about Muslims? And would you help me love Muslims the way Jesus does? Now, this, this thought came to me. It's not like I made this up, but it, it landed in my head um, leading up to the, the last presidential election when I, it occurred to me that the way I was thinking and acting toward both of the, the candidates at the time was probably not exactly the way God was thinking about them. And I said, God, help me think about Hillary Clinton. Help me think about Donald Trump the way you do. And I think that may be a good way generally to approach whatever we're dealing with in life. But I want for us, you, me, people like us, to take the risk of saying, God, help me think about these guys the way you do. So if you're willing to do that, and don't do it if you don't want to, because I think God is kind of happy to answer that prayer, and it may pop stuff up in your life that you don't want to deal with. So you're free not to pray this prayer, but if you're willing to, close your eyes, and, and you can pray it in your heart. Um, if you want to try praying out loud with me, that would be kind of fun, but um, no pressure to do that. But let's just pray for a moment. Father, would you help me, would you help us to think about Muslims the way you do? And would you help us to love Muslims the way Jesus does? For your glory, amen. Now, I, I hope I gave you enough ways out that if you actually prayed that prayer, you don't send me an email in a couple days and go, I can't believe you made us do that because here's what happened. Because stuff may well happen. Read the, uh, the fourth one, the R in Amore. Without, I think, without question, the predominant majority, upwards of 75, 80, 90% of what lands on our desks, on our screens about Muslims is negative. Now, without evaluating how much of it is true or not true, I think we could agree that almost everything we hear about Muslims is negative. And if you're gonna try to love Muslims, if you're gonna try to say, hey, how's it going to a Muslim, you gotta somehow find a way around that, right? Maybe you gotta find a way to balance that a little bit. So I wanna encourage you to read some stuff that would give you a bit different perspective. So Grant has got a couple of these, um, these books that I think you might want. Across the Street and Around the World, written by a friend of mine, winsome and nice and kind and good and easy to read. 
just helping us think, God, what are you up to in the world? Why is it that I happen to live in a crazy diverse place like Southern California? And then particularly about Muslims, Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, written by a friend of mine, a great way to think about who are these people and how do I figure out how to connect? Now, and this this gets a little self-promoting, and I hate this, but I think this might be helpful. I publish a weekly email that's 300 words long. If you are halfway literate, you can read it in two or three minutes. If you're fully literate, you're looking at 90 seconds. Comes out once a week and just gives a little bit of perspective on what Muslims believe and what's coming up for Muslims and how normal people can interact with Muslims. I would love for you to subscribe to that because I think it's a little drip feed that will help a lot of us find God's way to actually answer that prayer, thinking and acting about Muslims. On the back of the bookmark, there's a little um, QR code you can shoot that will take you there or 18 other ways to um, get on that. I would love for you to do that. And then finally, expect God to move. Expect God to do something. You know, at time was, when I started, when I moved to Pasadena in like 87, started working with Muslims a little bit, the general reality was this. Missionaries to Muslims were one in a million. Literally, one in a million. And nobody was thinking about Muslims. Hardly anybody was thinking about Muslims. And then... Some guys who were more politically motivated than religiously motivated, but they were Muslim, decided to fly airplanes into the World Trade Center. And suddenly everybody's thinking about Muslims. Brought this right up into our consciousness. And then at irregular intervals since then, stuff has come up and we've sent a ton of us off to fight in in various places. So Muslims are a bit more on our mind these days. But I want you to know this, what you might not have heard so much is that God is on the move in the Muslim world like has not been seen ever. God is on the move in ways that if we really knew, it would just flatten us. I wouldn't stand up here giving you a little talk. We would just be on our faces going, God, how could this be? Thank you. Don't let it stop. There are movements around the world where Muslims are coming to Christ and then inviting their friends and families to Christ. You know, one of the things you often hear when people are talking about Muslim evangelism, oh, it's really hard because if a Muslim follows Jesus, their family's gonna kill them. But what if the whole family follows Jesus? Yeah, like that ever happens. It does happen. And it is happening as we sit here this morning. Muslims following Jesus, finding life in Christ, telling their friends who then find life in Christ. And these movements are fanning out all over the place. The work I'm doing in Sicily, we're beginning to see the very first fruits of what we hope will be that kind of thing. Some of these Muslim migrants go, yeah, I think as I've looked at this, I think Jesus is is the way to life. You bump into a Muslim this week, next week, school starts, Part of your brain's gonna say what you have heard so many times. Muslims are hard and resistant. Muslims, they, they hate Christians. They're gonna, they wanna kill Christians. Some of them do. Again, like four, maybe 10. Muslims don't wanna hear about the gospel. They don't wanna hear about Jesus. You know what? That Muslim you bump into, she may have prayed that very morning, God, if you are real, I need help. And then you meet her. And if you say, How's it going? 
and she starts to tell her story and you say, you know, I faced that and here's how I found hope in Jesus. Something may pop open there that will just cause you to cry. Maybe you work with Muslims who are like super smart. You know, some of the Muslims in this area, they are here because they do math way better than some of us do. And you think they're really smart. They probably don't even like their God. Why would they like my God? But you don't know what they're walking. You don't know what the road is like. And it's quite possible if you meet them and you've got a little bit of Ananias courage and you say, hey, how's it going? That that may be an import, a meeting arranged by God before eternity. And the very thing that you have to share is the very thing that they need to hear about this life in Jesus. Let me wrap up with this. Um, I brought some cards along. They're out there on the, the one of the, some table out there on your way to the donuts. Um, and there are cards on one side. Basically, it says more or less the same thing on the front and the back. But it just says, you know, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm glad you're here. Because here's one thing that's true. Most Muslims living within a 30, 45 minute drive of where we are this morning, they've never had someone who is not like them, Muslim and their color and their background, ever say to them, I'm glad you're here. Some of them probably have literally had people cross the street so they didn't have to pass them on the sidewalk. And one of the things as people of Jesus we can do is we can say, hey, I just want you to have this card just to say, I'm glad you're here. Now, because of where you live, it's possible that they will say in brilliant English, I've lived here longer than you have by about two generations. And that might be true. But can we take that risk? There's a place here you can write your contact information. How scary is that? And you just say, hey, you know, I'm glad you're here. You add something to this neighborhood. I don't want you to go back where you came from, wherever that happens to be, Orange County, Iraq, wherever. I'm glad you're here. So if you want some of these, grab them. There's five for women and five for girls in these little hairband, rubber band packets out there. And there's a piece of paper that translates the Arabic. So you could, you know, you don't want to wonder, what am I giving away? Maybe it's a secret code. It's just fine. It's, it says you bring something to our community. So on your way out, um, if, you're, if you're willing, grab one of these. And then when you give, give the first one out and you feel like the champion of America, let me know. I would love, that would encourage me. Okay, let me pray for you and we'll be done and worship guys. Um, come back up and take us home. Father, I wanna thank you so much that you let me be with these guys this morning. I am honored and grateful and thrilled. And Lord, I wanna thank you that um, you've caused all of us to live here and to live now because these are amazing days for your kingdom. I thank you that we get to know you, that we can sit here thinking our sins are forgiven and we are chosen by a loving, good God. Lord, I thank you that we live in the midst of Muslims like our grandparents probably didn't. Lord, I pray for grace and opportunity in the next 48 hours for me and my friends. And I pray for the courage of Ananias to walk into the fear. And I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to break down barriers and for your kingdom to go forward. God, we want to celebrate these revelation promises, these all, thing new, all things new promises with a gazillion Muslims. And Lord, if you want to use us toward that end, please do so for your glory. Amen.